Hey, happy Valentine's. I haven't said that. I mean, we've talked about Valentine's, but happy Valentine's. I hope it's a good one for you. I realize it's a bit like an LSAT. You know, it's uh, and if you don't pass the test, you're in real serious jeopardy. And sometimes there's no correct answer and it's not multiple choice. You, you're just wrong. Um, but yeah, Valentine's generally uh, a day without too many obligations, except to make sure that if there's somebody special in your life, you've done something nice for them. I saw an awful lot of flowers in the downtown today. Now, if you're wondering, because I appreciate people you know, come and go on the show as listeners. Maybe you have a schedule where you hop into the car at 4.30 and so you get to hear smart speakers, but who the hell is hosting the show now? Why is John Moore here? This is a morning voice. What? And actually, I used to be here, many people will remember, and I used to love this show. I always felt that I had the sensibility for it and the morning show has a completely different mandate. Uh, but I was off this morning so that I could go watch Joe Cristiano be sworn in as a Canadian citizen, and I loved it. 110 people were sworn in at this particular hearing. There was a, a very uh, affable judge who did quite a bit of, not speechifying, but you know, talked about the meaning of being a Canadian, becoming a Canadian, the fact that the 110 people came from 35 different countries. And uh, then when I was talking to Joe getting ready for the whole thing, he said, you know, they say you can bring in the book of your choice to swear the oath. I said, well, you should take Anne of Green Gables. I don't know if he did, but, um, you know, that would be very Canadian. Okay, we've got two very smart speakers standing by, so I'll quit yammering. And, uh, of course, Joe Cristiano and I will be back tomorrow morning. Matt Gurney is the co-founder and editor of The Line, an online magazine and columnist for TVO. Jamie Ellerton, founding partner at Conaptus and longtime political strategist. Nice to have you guys on the show. Great to be with you, John. Let's start with, uh, this has to be the quickest reversal we've ever seen under the Ford administration. Uh, we were learning this morning that the LCBO was going to run a pilot project where they would check ID and actually scan it before a person could go into the store. And Peter Bethlen Falvey, who's a very sensible man, said, no, you're not. And so it died before lunchtime. But your quick thoughts on this. I can't believe anybody even thought of it. I mean, and first of all, it, what, it would gum things up and it would make going to the LCBO an even more joyless experience. Matt? Well, first of all, let me just say that, like, I was totally excited to come here and talk news and politics with you guys until you started comparing this to the LSATs. Now I'm really nervous. Like, every answer I'm going to get graded on. Uh, you know what? I, I like that you said that this was, like, the fastest ever Ford government flip-flop, because I actually think we're going to need to start inventing new units of time in order to track these things, because they are getting quicker as time goes on. John, I'm with you. I have no idea what the problem was here. And Look, if, if there are problems, if there have been problems in these locations, and I think we all understand the fact that the LCBOs can encounter problems sometimes, there are solutions to these problems. And the solutions to these problems is not trying to invent some sort of weird long gun registry, but for LCBO visits here. I don't know whose idea this was. I don't know who approved this. My gut feeling, and Jamie probably will, will have more experience with this than I will, my gut feeling is based on the speed with which this was announced and then killed. This was probably a brainwave that was came from the bureaucracy and didn't make it up to the political level. Maybe the minister glanced at something before ticking the approved box, but this was obviously an idea. It looked like the government itself was caught by surprise by. Yeah, and Jamie, the other thing that flies up my nose is if you're going to run a monopoly, then you can't start this sort of ticket-taking. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing that jumps out to me here on this one, John, is this was going to be in Sioux Lookout, Kenora, and in a handful of LCBO locations in Thunder Bay. Uh, and so I think Matt's right. I think this was a regional initiative by LCBO management looking to deal with what they have as a very, what I understand, real theft problem. And so one of the ways to get around that is to limit access to those who are legitimately coming in to buy it. Uh, the other thing that came to my mind, I remember like back when I was going to university, both in Windsor and in Ottawa, uh, it was not uncommon to have bars scan IDs to make sure you weren't trying to drink on a fake ID. And so I don't really know how this was that much different. But in terms of, I think what the Ford government saw was like, oh, privacy. And rather than deal with the headache, they just killed an initiative that was designed by LCBO management in northwestern Ontario, about as far away as you could possibly get from Queen's Park in this province and make the headache go away as fast as possible. So add another flip-flop to the bow. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the aspects to this is obviously shoplifting. And I've witnessed more than my share of shopliftings. I was at one LCBO and the guy walked in, grabbed a bottle off the shelf, walked toward the door, and the clerk said, are you going to pay for that? Nope he said, and went out the door. Um, but, you know, just get a few guards. Don't start providing access and scanning of IDs and ridiculous things like that. A uh, new task force from the Regional Board of Trade is going to be looking at Toronto's traffic congestion woes. I don't know, how many, uh, let me start with Jamie, how many working groups can we have before we decide that maybe we can never fix this? Yeah, this sounds like the eye roll of a worthwhile Canadian initiative. So, like, the Board of Trade is launching yet another initiative to look at what's obviously a problem to everyone. We know that we have no coordination between three levels of government and major infrastructure projects in this city. And we know that the patchwork of how everything is done is like ground downtown to a halt. So uh, kudos to the Board of Trade for taking some initiative. I'll say I'm happy it's a Board of Trade initiative and not a taxpayer initiative looking at this. Uh, and we'll see what comes of it. My money's on not very much. Yeah, Matt, I think one of our problems when it comes to getting around the downtown, which is really what we're talking about here, is we make our traffic laws out of political reasons sometimes. So we're trying to appease the cyclists or the motorists are mad, so you change the timing on the lights. I think, th you know, there are best practices from other cities we could apply. Yeah, I mean, in theory. Like, this is Toronto, man. We're not going to do that. Like when you, when you when you said you were going to start with Jamie, I was like, no, because I knew he was going to drop the worthwhile Canadian initiative reference. And I really wanted to use that myself. I, I can't I, I can't criticize the Board of Trade for doing this. Like, OK, this is in their ambit. This is the sort of thing they do. But the, the Board of Trade is going to create some task force. And like before it convenes its first meeting, we're going to shut down half the north and south lanes in downtown. We're going to shut down two-thirds of the east and west lanes. And then just for good nature, we're going to drop a nuclear weapon on the gardener as part of its restoration progress. <laughs> and then and then we're like six months from now, the first task force report is going to come back and it's going to report that like the parts of the city that are still inhabitable now see worse traffic than before. We're doing this to ourselves. And I look, John, I agree with you. Like we, we have screwed up the system, which is all part of like we're doing it for ourselves here. But like I spent this morning reading about how we are shutting down lanes on the Gardner Expressway for rehabilitation work. I was reading yesterday about upcoming construction on King Street in order to rehabilitate the streetcars. I was reading on the weekend about construction going through downtown for the Ontario line here. And then I spent part of my Wednesday reading about a task force that wants to find out why it's hard to move through downtown. Guys, I don't know. I, I don't want to rush to a conclusion here, but I have a hunch. Well, and you know what? Add into this whole mix the fact that the subway barely works and 
you know, I don't know how people get around in this town. I'm very lucky that I commute in at 4 a.m. and I go home after the rush hour. I'm spoiled rotten. Uh, are you guys buying, and uh, Matt, I'll start with you. Uh, Mr. Guibault, the cabinet minister, says he didn't say what he said when it was quoted in the Montreal Gazette, which was the feds were done with road construction. I don't honestly know what to make of it. Like, I think it's more likely to me that a minister regrets saying something truthful than it is that a newspaper completely invented something. <laughs> but I mean, a conservative friend of mine told me years ago that for all the criticism uh, Minister Gibo gets, like, this is the guy that they are the most delighted Justin Trudeau put in cabinet. Like, as far as the conservatives are concerned, Minister Gibo should be in charge of everything because they love running against this guy. He is a quote machine. So obviously, if he has been misquoted or mistranslated or misconstrued, he has a right to correct the record. I 100% agree with that here. But it's just based on the guy's entire history, it seems more likely to me that he accidentally told the truth and now wishes he hadn't. Yeah, I mean, the reason people like him and Tories like running against him is because he was a hardcore environmentalist. So, Jamie, it was not beyond belief that he would say, nope, no more roads. Yeah, I mean, you look at the actual transcript of the scrum, uh, which I did a bit earlier, he does actually say what he says, and the journalists like, questioned him on it. He says he doesn't say it. Uh, and so I don't know if it was just a, a, a mental lapse as he was like going back and forth between French and English or the like. Uh, but I don't for a second, especially when you look at his clarification, it's like, oh, we're going to fund some upkeep of roads, but like no more new roads. Well, like we know that we need new roads. The answer is not highways or subways or go train. It's all of the above because we're going to need it, uh, especially in the GTA, which is growing, uh, which is why I think you actually see such a political push from the Ford government to be building and expanding transportation infrastructure not just with the Ontario line and LRTs in the region, but also the Bradford Bypass and the Highway 413. Yeah. It's worth noting where he said it, because they're having this huge roiling fight in Quebec about building a tunnel under the St. Lawrence River in Quebec City, and it's a dumb idea. Uh, guys, we'll continue the discussion on the other side, but we got to get people to where they're going. <laughs> You're probably stuck in traffic uh, at 4.45. The listener texts in, the first time I heard you was on the afternoon show, because I did the afternoon show from 2003 to 2009. Uh, this person writes, you spoke of going home and having a glass of gourds, and I've been listening to you ever since. Okay, if I said I was having a glass of gourds, Draminer, I was kidding. I mean, I will have a glass of something, and it can be said that I'm a Deer Park Chardonnay swilling bicycle rider. But uh, I say gourds to minute just because it makes me laugh. Okay, it's Smart Speakers, and Matt Gurney is here along with Jamie Ellerton. Guys, we're only just finding out um, all of the details, but I was just wondering if you had any first sort of gut thoughts on victory parade for the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. Gunfire breaks out. Apparently, 10 people have been hit. You'll probably hear more about it in the news. But, you know, I sort of think we just can't do anything anymore without coming into some form of danger. Matt. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I've been following the initial reports. I'm sure you are getting them as well. Just kind of the initial wire flashes. Um, one confirmed dead. There were 10 reported injuries. Now that's up to 14. And I imagine that will keep um, rising as more as more victims are discovered and walking wounded show up at local medical centers. Um, all I know uh, in terms of offering any insight into this is that the police have arrested two armed individuals. But this is the United States. 
like if you arrest two armed individuals in Canada at the scene of a mass shooting event, I'm reasonably confident that you're talking about two attackers. Two armed individuals in the United States could be one attacker and one guy walking out of Starbucks where he went in with his AR-15 because freedom. Like I really have no idea what to, what to make of this anymore. I used to write about these things a lot. Uh, I used to study them a lot. After Sandy Hook, I just kind of gave up. Like I don't think I have any original wis- wisdom to offer here. We are at a time of elevated terror alert and concerns of terrorism in North America because of events overseas. So obviously we need to investigate that. But the the Americans do these things so often. Like, I honestly don't know what possible conclusion to draw. I guess we're just going to have to do what we always have to do in these situations. We have to wait and see what someone tells us. Sooner or later, we'll figure out a motive and then we can talk about it. But you're right. Uh, We used to follow an event like this. The next morning would be almost wall to wall about the tragedy in such and such a place and now it's you know just wednesday uh what are your thoughts uh jamie yeah the first thing that came to my mind actually was the one and only time i've ever been near a shooting and that was the raptors 2019 championship parade uh, i remember at the time i was kind of squared nathan phillips square on queen street the shooting happened closer to bay and queen uh but the flood of people pushing it obviously running for their lives and the actual stampede that occurred thankfully i think it was only a couple injuries and that was it but so like matt do you hear this is this like two dudes who are fighting and they shot at each other and there's like other people got hurt or is this like something more serious uh in terms of a, a maligned attack Yeah, I know that the police chief is holding an update right now, so I'm sure some of those details will show up in Tiffany Hansby's newscast at 5 o'clock. So, uh, a Quebec teacher, to turn to a few lighter things, listed her student's artwork for sale on his website and was selling it for like 50 bucks a shot, 150 bucks a shot. Parents have found out, and they're actually suing. I mean, there's a million angles to this. It just seems, Jamie, to be a very strange story. This is an incredibly strange story. Uh, I happen to we don't want to learn more on this one. If this is just like the teacher running some like side Etsy shop to profit, like I think that teacher should be fired uh, and have to start the career over again. If this is just some like giant misunderstanding, like if they wanted to use this as a school fundraiser, it's pretty easy to get stuff on a t-shirt these days. Uh, get it printed to like fund something in school, that's cool too. And maybe it's just like a bureaucratic miss up in terms of permission slips were inside. But uh, if this teacher is like hustling student art on the side, I think that teacher should be fired. I think it's hilarious, Matt, that most parents have so many pieces of art that their kid has done. Eventually, they start quietly getting rid of it. Uh, but I guess maybe this you know teacher was representing it as some sort of exotic primitive art by somebody like Maude Lewis. You know, you say all the art parents collect, and my eyes just drift up all three walls surrounding me, and you cannot see any of the original drywall anymore. I'm look, I'm with Jamie. Like, if this is some lost permission form thing, and like, believe me, like, I got a wife who's an elementary school teacher, and I've got two kids in elementary school. I know all about permission forms and bad communication. Like, I get it; that's very possible. But if this is just some weird racket. Like that that's like on the one hand really bad. It like that shouldn't be happening. That's all kinds of wrong, but it's also hilarious. And like <laughs> I know that they're like they're suing this guy, right? No, I want this guy to be criminally charged and sentenced to ten years of being an art teacher. Like let the punishment suit the crime. <laughs> okay. Having been a teacher, I can entirely agree. Um, let's talk about uh, major junior league hockey in Canada. And an American lawsuit has been filed complaining that these kids are actually making a lot of people very rich, but they only make 250 bucks 
bucks a month. Matt, this debate is almost as old as the hills because I know it's been going on in college football for years because millions and hundreds, if not billions of dollars are made on college football, and those guys don't get a fair shake either. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, you're right. We've been talking about this forever, um, and college football, college basketball, and the minor, the major minors for hockey in Canada. You're, you're you're bang on. This is big, big, big business, and I think we might actually be making some progress on this. Like, I'm not wildly confident that we will because I'm a cynic, but I think we might make some some movement on this. And I think kind of we've also seen with women's sports, the uh, the professional women's hockey league. Yeah. Some of these issues are starting to finally get traction because I think the athletes have had enough here. But I honestly think you know, combined with this story, combined with the sexual assault charges out of London, do you kind of do you guys kind of get the feeling we're tracking towards a conversation about our national pastime in this country? It definitely feels like that to me, Jamie. Yeah, I think it does. And I think especially when you look at hockey and like the unique role that the OHL plays, and especially in smaller cities and smaller communities across uh, the OHL in Ontario, but like the, uh, the Quebec and Western equivalents. Do you essentially, as a what they sold hockey players on then was instead of like going the NCAA route where yes you got an education but you also had the chance to build pro support systems, they were essentially getting people to like sign on to the dream of you're going to be a professional sports and it's like you was your equivalent of like putting your time in for the chance of a payoff of actually truly going pro. Uh, and I think after decades of that, people have seen kind of the exploitation as to what that is, to how little these people make, uh, and especially when it comes to the OHL and the rest, like there's not like a wraparound university or college education system to it. Uh, and so you have a lot of people who end up in their mid-20s realize they weren't good enough to actually be pro, uh, and they also don't have an education. And so I think society's kind of catching up to that, and uh, I think we're going to continue to see a lot of change here or have that conversation that Matt just yes. referred to. a very important conversation. Okay, not a lot of time, but quick thoughts on this Valentine's to apparently millennials are doing what's called micro-weddings. You know, five people go to City Hall, go out for dinner, done and done. No $100,000 wedding. Uh, what do you say, Jamie? Yeah, my older brother and his wife just got married last year, and they essentially did just that. It was our immediate family, one friend, and we uh, had a weekend at the Emerald Lake Lodge in BC. Uh, even when my husband and I got married now almost five years ago, we did kind of a hybrid of the two and did like a stand-up dinner reception. So we were only paying for food people were actually eating as opposed to a three-course meal for everyone, which half gets thrown out. So I, uh, I get the trend, and uh, I think it's... People are waking up to having their own weddings and what they want to do and no longer feeling obliged to what their parents parents force upon them. Yeah. Well, a cocktail dinatoire sounds wonderful. Matt Gurney? We did it more the old school way um, where we, we spent big bucks on a big party. And I'm pretty confident my wife isn't listening to me right now. So I can say this freely. I never really understood that. Like to me, like it's not that I didn't have a great time. I had a great time and I'm happy I'm married. But it's just kind of like we're spending how much on a party? To me, that always seemed weird. So if the next generation's doing it differently, uh, they've got my full blessing and maybe even a touch of envy. Well, take it from me. Under all circumstances where I say some ter terrible thing, the wrong person is listening so maybe I know. maybe yeah, you and I your it. wife need to have a conversation right now it's, it's valentine's day buddy what can go wrong i know matt gurney <laughs> and jamie ellerton thank you very much that's smart speakers on the other side david Ryder from the toronto star is going to be here it's budget day and they're in the final spasms so we'll find out what they've decided